Psalm 100. And Psalm 100 says, a psalm for giving grateful praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is the Lord we've come to praise today, right? So we'll do that through some songs. But first, let's pray, uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
can be seated. Good morning. <clears throat> Reading from Matthew 26, 26 through 29. <clears throat> At the Last Supper, the scripture says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when they had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when they had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Father, we thank you for this day, and thank you for the many blessings we have, and thank you for the covenant which we'll always remember. Amen.
Now is the time in the service for announcements. Matthew 25 Ministries um, collects pill bottles. So if you'd like to donate them, there's a plastic bin in the foyer underneath the TV that you can place them. Um, next to that, there's a plastic bin for used ink cartridges. And we use those to reduce any um, office supply costs that we have here at the church. Food pantry closed closet every Thursday, 5 to 7. There's a list of most frequently needed items if you would like to donate any of the food, come and serve, or any donations can be made on Thursdays 5 to 7. Refit free dance fitness class on Tuesdays and Thursdays 6.30 to 7.30. If you have any questions about that, you can contact Kristen. It's for men and women. Um, Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry, the fourth Sunday of every month at 2 p.m. There's a sign-up at the welcome table. We do have service because it's on a Sunday. Then we eat lunch together in fellowship, and then we go right over to Mellon Ridge for um, a service. Breakfast is better when we eat together. Breakfast fellowship is the first Sunday of the month at 9.30. Usually lasts about 30 minutes. If you'd like to bring something, um, talk to Carol. Empty Nesters Bible Study, continuing their book series every Thursday, 10 a.m. at Ruth Liming's house. Making s'more memories. Um, tonight, 6.30 to 8 p.m., um, out in the field area, we will have the Goshen Community Family S'mores Night. Um, if you haven't registered, please do so. Don't feel like you have to register. We just want to make sure we have enough supplies and seating as much as we can for everybody. But if you think about it, hey, it's 6 o'clock, let's head out, and you didn't register, please come. We want to we wanna fellowship with you. Tithes and offerings can be given in person or online. Weekly budget is listed here in some ministries that we support through the giving at Heartland. All righty, let's jump right into the Word. So today we're going to continue our series in the book of Colossians. I think we've been in this series, what, six weeks or so? I don't know how long it's been, but it's been a long time. We're going to stay here, though. It's good stuff. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 8 to 12. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. And uh, when you get there in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is Living in God's Fullness. In Colossians 2, 8 through 12, the scriptures say, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, but by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you may be seated. Where do we find the fullness of God? And how do we live in the fullness of God? Well, today we're going to see that the fullness of God is found in the church. And we live in the fullness of God by being careful to stay connected to the church. And we're going to talk about how this truth should forever change our view of the church. That's what we'll talk about today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to open our eyes so we can see wonderful things in your word. And give us the grace to put your word into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So notice that Paul starts with a warning. I'm pretty sure I have a point up there that we must be, live a careful life. That's part of the sermon. So notice Paul starts Colossians 2.8 with a warning. He says, be careful 
that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. Now, as we saw last week in the verses right before this, Paul encourages God's people to hold tightly to the apostolic traditions of the faith just as they had been taught. Why? So that no one deceives us with persuasive arguments about Jesus. In verses 8 through 12, Paul continues to urge us to watch out for false teachers, teachers who teach doctrines that deviate from the teachings the apostles passed down in the church. Now, Paul likens being led astray by false teachers to being taken captive as slaves. It's like an enemy sneaks in among us and carries us off into captivity. But our enemies don't take us captive by force. They don't snatch us up and carry us off. Our enemies take us captive by deception. They slip in among us. They entice us and lure us away from the true faith with persuasive arguments. Now, Paul's language here takes us back to Colossians 1.13, where Paul says that God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Now, when we accept false teaching, we're led astray from the, the glorious kingdom of God's Son. This is a kingdom where we have a phenomenal freedom in Christ. It's not a freedom to do what we want to do, but the freedom to live as God created us to live by keeping the commands of Christ. In Christ's kingdom, we experience the fullness of God through God's grace. When we accept false teaching, we're lured away from the light of Christ's kingdom. And we're brought back into bondage, back into enemy territory under the domain of darkness from which God delivered us. And Paul goes on in Colossians 2.8 to show us some of the bait the enemies of God use to lure us away from Christ's kingdom. Paul says our enemies take us captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than on Christ. Now, here Paul's talking about the human philosophy and the human wisdom of Gnostics. See, Gnostics base their teaching on human traditions and commands. And he's specifically talking about Gnostics, the Gnostic teachings that are different from what the Lord Jesus revealed to the apostles and what the apostles revealed to the church about Christ. Now, we saw last week that all traditions are not bad. The apostolic traditions are good and necessary for salvation and apostolic traditions were put in place by God to guard the church from error. And those traditions are based on Christ, based on the teachings of Christ and his apostles. So apostolic traditions need to be taught, they need to be learned, and they need to be followed in the church. Because it's only by holding to the apostolic traditions that we can live in the fullness of God and be saved. But there are also bad traditions. Traditions we must always avoid in the church. There are human traditions that are in conflict with the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, later on in Colossians, Paul calls it self-made religion that does nothing to help us overcome sin. And why does human religion or self, self-made religion not help us overcome sin? Well, because human traditions cannot bring about the inner change or give us the necessary power to truly overcome the sensual desires of the flesh. And that change only comes by being born again and becoming a part of the new creation in Christ in the church. And that's why Paul appeals to the Colossians to remember that they died to the elements of the world with Christ in baptism. 
In Christ, they were part of the new creation. So they no longer belong to this world. They were made members of the world to come through their union with Jesus. And you cannot use the weak and miserable elements of this world that are based on human commands to try to live like citizens of the world to come. It just doesn't work. So we've got to be careful. We've got to guard against being taken captive by human philosophies that are based on human traditions and commands that promote human religions that do nothing to solve the human sin problem. We've got to be careful not to allow anyone to take us captive. And move us away from the apostolic truths of the true faith, which we can only find in the church. And notice in Colossians 2.8, Paul puts this responsibility on each one of us. He says, you be careful. In other words, you is implied. You be careful that no one takes you captive. It's up to each one of us to learn the truth, know the truth, and live out the truth. Avoiding the deception of false teachers is largely left up to each individual. Now, when we're talking about the church, as as we gather as the church, the primary purpose of elders in the church is to teach the true faith, that we're called to keep watch over the souls that God places within our care. We're called to keep the wolves out of the church, and we do that by teaching the truth, by making sure every element of public worship is in line with the faith, and by correcting error when we see it. As Paul tells Titus in Titus 1.9, I read this scripture last week, we'll read it again. An elder must keep holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. An elder must hold to the faithful message, the apostolic tradition as taught by the apostles. Why? So he can encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. The elders must make sure that only the apostolic faith is taught in the church and correct people who say something against the apostolic tradition, correct people who contradict it. And the elders of this church will give an account to the Lord one day for how well we've done that. And that may not send shivers up your spine, but it does. It shouldn't send shivers up my spine. This is why I spend hours and hours in study and preparation for this every week. Why I write and rewrite what I'm going to teach you all, even up to the last minute. You see me always working. I'm always working. Why do I do that? Because I got to get this right. I got to get this right. And it's another reason why you never, I, well, I really try not to say things that are not in my manuscript. A lot of people don't know, but I write the entire thing out. Every word that I speak up here is something that's written down. So I, I, and the reason I do that, again, because I got to get this right. I can't just say stuff off my head and come up with something that's not true because I'll give an account to the Lord for what I've said. Got to get this right for your sake and for my sake. Now, people often, people often ask me why I get upset when I hear people say things in the church that are not true. Another thing, why do I nitpick songs and things like that? And why do sometimes I or the elders say, we got to get rid of that song right there. It's just not doctrinally sound. Why do we do that? Can't we just relax? You're ruining people's fun. They love this song. Why can't we just go ahead and do it? It's not that big of a deal. Do we really need to scrutinize everything so closely? Let me ask you this. How would you feel or how would you react if someone came into your house and carried off one of the members of your family? Or what if you found out that we had been allowing someone to put just a little bit of poison in every cup of communion that we serve every week? Now, you'd probably be upset in either case, right? And that's how I see false teachers and false teaching. 
The church is God's household. And I'm supposed to protect the members of this household from being carried off by false teachers. False teaching is poisonous. And over time, just a little bit of false teaching can lead to spiritual sickness and spiritual death. So I'm going to tell you all like it is, there will be no false teaching in this church on my watch. It's not going to happen. As shepherds of God's people, the other elders and I have a responsibility to allow only true teaching in the church and to refute those who contradict it. But you also have a responsibility. When you go out into the world, you turn on the the radio, turn on TV, you go to different websites on the internet, get all kinds of different books, go to different Bible studies. You're going to hear a lot of different messages, teachings that are different from what you're taught here. And it's your responsibility to see to it that you don't allow yourselves to be taken captive by the false teachings that are so prevalent in the world today. It's a sad state of affairs where we live today. So much false teaching that that passes off as Christian teaching. It's, I got to quit. So the responsibility of holding on to the faith and walking in the truth and working out your own salvation with fear and trembling The responsibility for living carefully so you will not be deceived, well, that responsibility is yours. And I cannot do anything to make you do that. I can help you. I can pray for you. I can do all these things. I cannot make you live out the truth. You've got to guard yourselves. You've got to watch out for the hollow and deceptive philosophies of false teachers. Guard against human traditions that nullify the word of God and lead you away from the faith. Why? Well, because it's only by learning and living the true faith that we can stay filled with God's fullness and be saved. So to stay filled with God's fullness, we must live a careful life. We must be careful not to be taken captive by false teachers. And the second thing we must do to stay filled with God's fullness is we must live a connected life. We must stay connected to Christ in the church. In Colossians 2, 9 through 10, Paul goes on to tell the saints where they find the fullness of God. Paul says, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him. Now, this idea of fullness is Paul using the false teacher's own language against them. The Greek word behind fullness is pleroma, and it means completeness, fulfillment, fullness, or perfection. Now, for Gnostic false teachers, well, they taught that Pleroma was a level of spiritual fullness or perfection that could only be attained apart from the physical world and by progressing at a hidden wisdom that was not revealed to the apostles. That's what this entire letter is about. That's what the entire Ephesians is about. These false teachers who came in and said, hey, we got something else for y'all. There's some Pleroma that you need to get to perfection. You got to listen to what we're telling you now. Now, in practical terms, they taught that the the apostolic traditions that the apostles taught to the church were incomplete. The God's people also needed this secret wisdom that God had not revealed to the apostles to be brought to fullness. So Paul says, well, you want to talk about fullness? Well, I'll tell you about fullness. I'll tell you about God's fullness. When you're in Christ, you are in the one in whom all the fullness of God, all of God's nature dwells bodily. And Paul has two bodies in mind here. First, Paul's talking about the incarnation of Christ. When the Son of God took on human nature in a real physical human body, he filled that human body and filled human nature with his 
divine nature. The entire fullness of God's divine nature dwells in the physical human body of the Lord Jesus. And now that Jesus has taken his glorified physical body to heaven, well, there's another way in which the fullness of God's nature dwells in a body, in a body on the earth, and that body is the church. So we've got to get back to an apostolic view of the church. We've got to get back to teaching the importance of the church in God's plan of salvation. You know, we've done the world a devastating disservice by downplaying the importance of the church for salvation. An entire generation has grown up being told, church is really not that important. Your personal relationship with Jesus, that's all that matters. You don't need to go to church to have that relationship. Anybody ever heard this before? We've focused so much on everyone's personal relationship with Jesus that we've completely forgotten the only place to find a relationship with Jesus is in his church. Because the body, because the church is the body of Christ on earth. Where else are we going to go to find Jesus? He told us he's in the body on on earth. He's in his church. That's where Jesus is. He's in his church. The church is the vessel through which God has chosen to save the world. And it's in the church that we find the truth about the living God. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. This is an amazing statement about the importance of the church. The truth stands or falls with the church of the living God. As a pillar of, the, a pillar of truth, the church holds up and displays the truth for all the world to see. As the foundation of the truth, the church keeps the truth from being twisted by holding up the standards by which all Christian teaching must be measured. And this allows the apostolic faith to be passed down from one generation to the next without change. And here's something that used to be taught in the church, but it's not anymore. If we have a faith that's different from the church, from what the church taught in the first century, then we're not a part of the church of the living God. The church is where we come into contact with Christ's body and blood and the healing power of God's grace. The church is where we're united with Christ, born again and recreated in the image of God through baptism. As Paul puts it in Colossians 3, 9 through 10, it's in the church that we have taken off our old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. The church is where we have an ongoing access to the divine nature of God in Christ and where the power of God's grace is renewing us in the image of God. As Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We gain a knowledge of Christ and of Christ's precious promises in the church. And those promises allow us to escape the world's corruption and participate in the divine nature of Jesus. So we got to get back to an apostolic view of the church. Because the scriptures tell us the church is where we find the fullness of God in Christ. And listen to what Paul says about the church in Ephesians 1, 22 through 23. And if you write in your Bible, 
circle this entire passage, go home and read this and look at this again. But here's what he says. He says, and God placed all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. No, it's not saying too much to say that the church is the biggest part of God's plan. Christ's incarnation, his death, his resurrection, his ascension were all leading to the church. God appointed Christ to be Christ Jesus to be head over everything, all rule, all authority, all power and dominion. Why? Paul says it's for the church. Everything God did through Christ is for the church. Again, the church is the body of Christ. And it's in the church and only in the church that we find the fullness of God in Christ. Again, the church is where Christ lives on the earth. The church is the fullness of God through which God is filling everything in every way. And when we gather as the church, the fullness of the divine nature dwells among us in bodily form. So we've got to understand to be in Christ is to be in the church. The two are synonymous. So it's, it's since the church is the body of Christ, and since the fullness of God dwells in the body of Christ, well, this means God is living in the church, filling his people with the fullness of his deity. Now I'm going to read this. This means that God is living in the church, filling his people with the fullness of his deity. I mean, this is the most epic news ever. When we gather as the church, God is here in us and among us, not just in a measure, but in his fullness. And if that doesn't make us want to come to church, then I don't know what will. So what we need to do, instead of telling people, don't come to church, you don't need that, we need to tell them, you need to go to church, you have to go to church, because the church, that's where you find the fullness of God. Now before we close, I'm going to talk about one more way that Paul applies the word fullness to the church. Now, the word fullness can also mean fulfillment. In the church, we find fulfillment of everything God promised his people under the old covenant. And Paul gives us an example of what is fulfilled in the church in Colossians 2.11. He says, You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him. And baptism. Now, Paul brings up circumcision here to, to counter the false teachers, something else that they were teaching, false teaching, what they taught about circumcision. Now, false teachers followed Paul around everywhere. He went every church he established. They followed him around, and they were doing what we read in Acts 15.1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, circumcision is where the foreskin of the male member is cut off in a religious ritual that binds a person to a covenant relationship with the God of Israel. Now, under the old covenant, this is how males became members of God's family. This custom was taught by Moses, or by God through Moses in Genesis 17, 10 through 14. And there Moses gives the Lord's command concerning circumcision. The Lord says this, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money, 
from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now you can tell from this language here that circumcision is very important to the Lord. I want to remind you, that, that's the Lord speaking right there. The Lord is, so circumcision was very important to the Lord. Everyone who wanted to be a part of the Lord's covenant people must be circumcised. And every male who did not have the foreskin of his flesh cut off would be cut off from the Lord's people because they broke the Lord's covenant. In other words, under the old covenant, a person had to be circumcised to be saved. Can't be a part of God's people unless you're circumcised. Now, false teachers, like the ones we read about in Acts 15, came into the church and started to use Genesis 17 as their go-to scripture to prove that every male still had to be physically circumcised to be saved under the new covenant. And this is the perfect example of why the apostolic traditions are so important. See, if we read Genesis 17 without the apostolic understanding of that scripture, well, we can all see that God certainly said circumcision of the flesh will be for all generations to come an everlasting covenant. Isn't that what the scriptures say? So that's what these false teachers came and said, here, this is what the scriptures say. Why don't we live by this? Well, we don't, live, we don't do that because we not only need to know what the scriptures say, we need to know what the scriptures mean as interpreted through the apostles. And the apostolic understanding of circumcision as with all things in the Old Testament scriptures, is that circumcision is now being fulfilled in Christ in the church. Circumcision is still required under the new covenant. The everlasting covenant still stands, but it's a different kind of circumcision. And it's not performed by human hands. And the flesh that needs to be removed is not the flesh from the male member, Instead, the whole person we were outside of Christ needs to be cut off. Under the new covenant, circumcision is no longer outward and physical. It's now an inner work performed by Christ when we're baptized. As Paul says in Colossians 2, 11 and 12, you were circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were baptized, sorry, buried with him in baptism. And this is just a brilliant Holy Spirit-inspired play on words. Just like the foreskin of the male member is cut off in physical circumcision, so in our baptism into Christ in the church, Jesus cuts off the whole body of our flesh. Now, the way Paul uses the word flesh confuses a lot of people. Now, many think Paul's talking about our physical bodies. But Paul very rarely uses the word flesh to mean our physical body. And to prove that, watch what happens when we substitute the words physical body for the body of flesh in Colossians 2.11. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off your physical body in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism. Wouldn't it be crazy if we baptized somebody and they came out of the water in a totally different body? Maybe a lighter body? Maybe a body with more hair? But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about our physical body. We don't put off our physical body when we put off the body of flesh in baptism. For Paul, the body of flesh is everything we were in our old sinful selves outside of Christ. 
everything that belongs to the old creation and is passing away. So we had hearts that drove us towards sin. We had minds that drove us to be enemies of God. And that's what Paul means when he talks about the body of flesh. It's that old sinful man or woman we were outside of Christ. That's what needs to be cut off and removed from us. And that's exactly what physical circumcision symbolized. And that's exactly what is fulfilled in the church when we're buried with Christ in baptism. In baptism, we're born again. We're freed from that old sinful man or woman we were. That person is cut off. They're dead and they're buried. And we're now a new person in Christ. We're now part of the new creation. And as we stay connected to Christ in the church, we'll find ourselves being transformed from one degree of glory to another by God's glorious grace as we take on the image of God through obeying Christ's commands. So is it any wonder that Satan has done so much to fight against the church, to say you don't need church? Is it any wonder that Satan has done so much to convince people that they don't need baptism either? He goes around convincing people of all these things that we read very plainly in the Word of God that has always been the apostolic tradition. In the church is everything we need. In the church, we, we are baptized into Christ and become a part of the new creation. All that stuff is stuff we need to get back to teaching people. We've taught a, a, a salvation that just has people ready for the, the world to come over here. We're just waiting. We're forgiven of our sins. We're just doing whatever. This, the, the biblical salvation is, is a little bit different than that. It's about us being remade in the image of God us living lives that are worthy of God through the apostolic understanding of the Scriptures. Now, as we close, let me ask again, where do we find the fullness of God, and how do we stay filled with God's fullness? Well, we've seen today that God's fullness is found in Christ's body, which is the church. Through the church, God plans to fill all things with his fullness. And that process has started now as people become members of the church. Let that truth marinate in your mind until you see the hugeness of what the church is in God's plan of salvation. Until you live every minute of your life in this reality. When we're in Christ and Christ is in us and among us, when we are connected to Christ by being members of his body in the church, when we participate in his divine nature and he's filling us, well, we have everything we need to live the godly life. God recreated us to live in Christ. In Christ's body, in the church, the fullness of God is available to all of us. And by living a careful life in Christ's body, by living a connected life in Christ's body, we will stay filled with God's fullness. Let's all stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that, as you've taught us through the scriptures, in your, in your church we find the fullness of God. Lord, help us to truly understand that, to be able to walk that out. Lord, give us the grace to go out into this world and be what you want us to be, representatives of the kingdom of God. But if there's anything in our minds or hearts that are not in line with your truth, Lord, reveal that to us and help us to live out the truths we've heard here today. Today and always, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you all. They're going to sing a final song. I'll speak the Lord's blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.